For December 18th, 2023, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 807. A wise man, eh? Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are gathering at this festive time of year and exchanging gifts. Uh, I'm Matt Rather. I'm here with my good friends, Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. And Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. Hello, Matthew. Merry Christmas. Ma- happy holidays. Ma- ho, ho, ho. Happy, happy holidays. It's not. I'm I so mean, stressed out. I haven't done a Christmas shopping yet. Oh, well, good. Well, maybe we can, maybe we can help you with that. Five dollars okay. a month. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> that is what, uh, that is what it costs to become a member of overthinking it uh we say we say member a supporter of of overthinking it the 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 members are the heroes who support this this undertaking which you know still websites have gotten so so much cheaper than when we were starting out and i think i i paid like twelve hundred dollars a year or something like that for a virtual private server which was um you know, just astonishingly advanced technology at the time. And, uh, and we used to run it off of our own, you know, dedicated compute resources. Not like everything else that's in the cloud and it costs a, it costs a fraction of that, but it still costs, uh, something. And the, uh, the members help us out with that, um, by throwing in about $1 per episode of the, uh, the podcast. And as I've said, uh, many times, and as I, I repeat in this festive season, if, uh, if this podcast is not worth $1 per episode to you, you should be doing something else with your one short, precious life than, than <laughs> listening to it. So, uh, you know, please, uh, please consider ho, ho, ho around, around this time of year, please consider, uh, becoming a supporter overthinking it.com slash join to, uh, to, you know, start a monthly, monthly billing subscription. And, uh, you know, that cash goes into, um, that cash goes into the kitty that pays for the, the CDN for the podcast and for the compute resources and for the, the, uh, some of the software that runs the membership parts, which insists on charging an annual subscription for, for reasons, passing understanding, um, GPL software, annual subscription, who knew? Uh, yeah. So that's, Please, uh, please do you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about selling my microphone in order to keep this concern going. Well, yes, you know? absolutely. It's, I, well, I like Ariel. I'm going to sell my voice. And I don't know how to to keep the podcast going. Wouldn't wouldn't that be ironic, Pete? What would you sell to keep the podcast? I just sell going? all the vowels. I would only have consonants left. I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, wow! Uh, sounds sounds very close to uh, to a certain comedian who no one ever thought was funny. Um, hey, let's uh, let's dive into to what we're doing. But if you go to overthinking dot com slash join, uh, give us a little uh, give us a little holiday we'll love, uh, and and you know we'll keep it going. We'll keep it going. Yeah few weeks a few weeks longer um we uh we for the last several years have done christmas literature um podcasts which have been have been delightful like uh our one on on charles dickens a christmas carol was uh was a great deal of fun and i i always like the ones when we can uh when we can you know read something and prepare it and and talk about it talk about it together pete and i anyway we're english majors and so this uh this returns to a uh you know, kind of joy, uh, that, that we have, you know, right. Reading is the reason for the season. I'm, I am unreliably 
informed. So uh, every year we cast about for something Christmassy that, that we can talk about, and we we talked uh, and we uh, settled on a little bit the uh, O. Henry's story, the gift of the Magi, that uh, you know is a sort of classic short story and has a lot of the the. Uh, a lot of the um, O. Henry hallmarks about it, and I think it's like the the most famous, the uh, the most famous one. So uh, yeah, we're we're uh, we're we're diving in. I mean, and it it it, it is uh, it is interesting. Though though, Mark, you and I were were blown astray by the winds of Google, weren't we? Just a bit, yeah. So we knew it was in the public domain, and uh, thought that oh well, what would one do but just search for the name of the book or the name of the short story in Google, and get a PDF of it. And the first result is from an auspiciously named domain, which is AmericanEnglish.state.gov. You think, hey, this is coming from the United States government. Surely this must be an authoritative version of the text. And Matt and I did that thing. It was the first version of Google, and that authoritative URL. Read it. And I don't know if you noticed anything was missing, but I kind of took it in. It's like, okay, this is like in line with the story that I surely read in high school English over 20 plus years ago. Right. Um, and then little did we know until we started to prep for this, that uh, something was amiss. What was that thing that was amiss? Well, uh, certain, certain words were bolded. I mean, that was the first, that was the first clue. And you said, <laughs> and I, and I suggested that, well, state.english.gov might be a, uh, might be a, a thing for, AmericanEnglish.state.gov might be a, a website that taught uh, taught English, so these might be vocabulary words or or something like this. But you know, it it was just uh, I don't know. It was it was kind of flat, right? It was flat yeah. and and not really not really lively. And when I read the the Wikipedia page on O. Henry, who by the way had a crazy life, O. Henry was arrested and sent to jail for embarrassment bezeling from a bank from his employer at a bank so he's a you know he he was a colorful fella he was a like a really um uh, he and he like he was going to go surrender himself but he he uh he got cold feet and uh, escaped to Honduras and lived in Honduras Whoa. okay did not see that coming on account of it doesn't have a you know the way that the way that bad television shows will have people run away to Venezuela because Venezuela does not have an extradition treaty with the United States at least not on CBS it doesn't um but the you know for for the same reason it was uh he ran anyway so I'll maybe make reference to it but I'll link up his uh his wikipedia biography in the in the show notes because he's a crazy guy but like I read I, you know so I read this and I was told I mean I was informed right that his stories were full of naturalistic detail a um a conversational and familiar narrative style and uh wit and i did not find any of those things in evidence in the version of the the story that that we read so so it turns out we we mark you and i got like a reader's digest version right like that was the yeah. th- that was the the outcome that we realized slightly condensed, but really like uh, the language in particular was uh, dumbed down. Let's go ahead and say it. It was, yeah, well, down. or it was modernized and simplified to the point where it, it could be used for teaching English at like, what, let's call it like a middle school level. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's uh, uh, nothing, nothing wrong with that, I suppose. But um, I don't know. Like I, I'd rather, 
I don't know. This is this is a uh, probably a controversial thing, but I'd rather like kids in high school work on like ten lines of actual Shakespeare than ten plays of like modernized uh, translated mm-hmm. Shakespeare. Um, but you know, I do. But whatever. The the it had a it has a lot of like it has a lot of like guys and dolls esque. No, that's the wrong period. But like turn of the century New York lingo uh, in it, and that's um, that that might not be the most the most useful thing for for learning contemporary English for for people who are learning it as a second language. So okay, like uh, I like I get it, but it had the effect of just flattening the um, flattening the story. So uh, it's funny because we do this so that we can prep like so that we can take the week to do to do research and like uh you know as i did dive deep into the subject by reading a wikipedia article and uh we uh, ironically in a twist worthy of o henry mark and i only read only read the actual story um in uh in the like the 10 minutes follow in the 10 minutes immediately uh preceding uh hitting record but mark it was better wasn't it it was better so much much better yeah. and can we was, talk about the mendicency squad yeah i was, mean am i right am i right uh yeah that's not something that made it uh that made it to the um that, that made it uh through the department of states censors so pete you're the you're the only one who actually read uh <laughs> you're the only one who actually read this story and uh and prepped it well so do you want to do you want to like uh dive us in first of all could could you just in in a in a uh short span could you like uh spoiler alert us and and uh, tell us the plot of sure. o henry's the gift of the magi sure uh so yes by the way uh, if you ever need to read anything, you use an audiobook. The State Department won't change it. They don't record <laughs> audiobooks. Uh, even if it's only a five-page story, use an audiobook because you can't be bothered when you've got a baby. Did you, where did to, you get it? Did you go? Did you do it on YouTube or something? Yes, yes, ah. yes. There's uh, yeah, there's a couple of versions of it on YouTube. The story I feel. Can I tell you, know, you this is yep. this is a tangent, Pete? But I, I, and it's it's utterly ridiculous. But I feel wasteful listening to podcasts or audiobooks on YouTube because I feel like I'm taking up the scarce resource of bandwidth by yeah, it's those server costs, man. By transmitting about it. Well, yeah, exactly, right? Like, yeah, as a person who purchases bandwidth by the right. terabyte, like <laughs> I feel bad. Wasting bandwidth, um, you know, on all of our on all of our yeah. behalf. I'm sorry, that was a, that was a short- I had to sell a Ferrari in order to get those extra. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I feel. So, I mean, I feel bad. How is he gonna? How is he gonna ride out the apocalypse in the South Pacific? Uh, you know, if if he has to use wasteful, you know, if he has to just like scatter bandwidth to the to the four winds for people who are listening to podcasts and audiobooks on on YouTube. I'm sorry, Pete. I didn't mean to derail you. That was just a, a whimsical digression. Oh, there. I never, I never even railed, Matt. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's good. So the gift of the Magi has a female protagonist, which is not something that people generally uh, remember about it, uh, because it's not really about two equal, you know, participants in the story. But there's about a woman named Della who's a young woman, and she lives in a in a flop house, basically like a very very cruddy apartment, uh, and uh, in New York City, I believe, right? Um, although I don't know if they it's even not say. Specified. Yeah, it's not specified. And uh, she's married to a guy she really loves named Jim, 
who used to be pretty successful, but has now come upon some hard times, even though he's only 22. Uh, he has seen some some ups and downs in his life, uh, his professional life. And so they're getting by on very little money. And she's been planning for Christmas. The story sort of follows her alone for uh, the better part of like a morning and an afternoon, uh, where she realizes that she does not have money to purchase a suitable Christmas gift for her beloved husband as commensurate with her adoration of him, right? It's the idea is like, well, the, the gift should be really special because I love him so much. And so she resolves to sell her most prized possession, which is her beautiful hair, in order to buy a watch fob for his prized possession, which is a beautiful watch, uh, only to be struck dumb with howling and horror. Not struck dumb, because she does scream. So she doesn't get rendered speechless. But uh, she does she does wail and gnash her teeth when she finds out from aforementioned husband when he comes home that he has sold his watch mm. to buy tortoiseshell combs to adorn her beautiful hair. And so the be two jeweled, of them be jeweled. Oh, yes. Be, be tortoised. Be, 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 be combsled. Uh, very uh, shiny combs with gems and whatnot. Uh, and he has sold his gold pocket watch to buy these combs, and she has sold her hair to buy the watch fob, and she is despondent, and he thinks it's really funny. Um, and then he asks her to make dinner, uh, uh, or I guess tells her. Um, but no, it's Christmas Eve, so so it's it's you know they've got they've seen that money on chops, you know they got some chops that they're going to cook. But it's a story with a very uh, well-known ironic twist that has been remade and retold many, many times, which is, you know, my you I buy you a gift that is contingent upon another possession you have. You have sold that possession in order to buy me a gift that is contingent upon a possession I have, which I have in turn sold to get you the aforementioned gift, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and the two are in good spirits, right? They, they are together, right? They are happy. Uh, and it has a very strong narrative presence at the end who asserts that they are the wisest of the gift givers, uh, similar to the Magi, which are, of course, the three wise men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, did I tell you I once won three Gs on a parlay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, uh, it was a five Gs. Five Gs on a parlay? I forget how much. Then again, we've already established this isn't a Guys and Dolls period piece. But uh, but yes, <laughs> it's uh, it's the three wise men. Are, th- are those? No, those are Daniel's. Those are Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace. The three magi are Balthazar, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Is oh man, right? And, uh, and Elon, right? Yeah. And Elon is the third one. Uh, <laughs> Elon, uh, Elon. <laughs> the, yeah, yep. they're, they're Sundar, Elon, and uh, yep. and and Satya, Zuck. yeah, and Zuck, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Zuck. Yep, Zuck, the wise man, Zuck. Uh, but yes, no. So so comparing them to the wise men in the Bible who in the nativity story bring gold, frankincense and myrrh to but the not, young Christ child. It's, it's worth. So I, I was once sitting in, in a Catholic mass and the, um, the priest des- decided to have a Bible lesson, which was yeah. shocking because, <laughs> you know, Catholics, as, what read yeah, the Bible, as, Get out yeah, as you know, Catholics, as, as the three of us all raised Catholic, uh, we do not read the Bible. We worship Mary. That's, uh, that is Catholicism. <laughs> it's a goddess religion. We worship, we worship Mary. Um, someone in college it, it once said, said that, don't you, don't y'all worship Mary? Um, 
Yeah, anyway, so uh said, uh, where in the New Testament does it say the names of the three wise men? And it does not say the names of the three wise men in the New Testament. It says that the the kings or the wise men came came from the east, but you have to to read the the Old Testament prophecies to do it. But uh yeah, the um uh, I I was actually looking up the biblical story of the wise men. It it is in Matthew chapter two. Um it's uh you know uh and and it it is it almost reads kind of like a like a C plot you know because the the real action of um the real action of Matthew chapter 2 is uh is the massacre of the infants i think and and the wise men are the wise men are kind of side characters in in that story because uh you know um because the uh, uh what they they function mostly to tip Herod off uh that the newborn king of the Jews is in uh Bethlehem of Judea uh, and so uh, and, and then they it's almost like um it's almost like uh one verse where it's like they they uh, what uh, entering the house they saw the child with Mary his mother they prostrated themselves and did him homage then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh uh, and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod they departed for their country another way and that's like that's just like uh, that's it that's all that's all you get of the wise men so so the priest like uh, you know gave us a trick question pop quiz pop quiz hotshot what's the name of the three wise men in the uh, in the New Testament Testament and someone knew uh, Balthazar, uh, Elon, and Zuck, and uh, you know said that like some some you know old lady, and she assumed the posture of one awaiting praise. And the priest thundered down from the pulpit. No, no, I cast thee out into. No, it wasn't that dramatic. We said uh, anyway. Trick question. Trick. Uh, Trick question. But were they the wisest gift gift givers of all? You know, gold. They were the first gift givers, which is what O. Henry specifically calls them out as. Like they started the tradition of giving Christmas gifts. That's, yeah. I mean, I mean, fair enough, I guess. You know, they invented the art of giving Christmas presents. Is the specific turn of phrase. I mean, do you, do you think the baby Jesus would have preferred like a like a Roblox gift card, maybe, or <laughs> you know, I don't know, something with a receipt so that you can take it back to the store and get something well, you actually see, want? It's such an interesting reading of the story. For such a modern reading of the story, the idea that you give a baby a gift that the baby would like. I think people don't uh, take into account how contemporary a consideration that even is, that the baby would like something, <laughs> right? Like uh, the idea that children, you know, ought to be, uh, you know, uh, encouraged in their own uh, desires, right? As opposed to, you know, be kind of held as part of their household and such feels very like early 18th century, early 19th century and later to me. I don't know about to you. Sure. Because um, it's really idealizing. Yeah, it's really kind of idealizing the child, right? Like before then it was like, you know what the gift to the child is? Not starving. And you yes. know what? I'm not I'm not totally sure I'm gonna give it that yet. So well, there the you go. The gift is to the child's station, right? Like the gifts are the gifts are reverence to like who the child is in social context, not who the child is as the experience of a baby. Because uh, what does a baby have to do with myrrh, right? Other, I mean, I guess myrrh is probably the one it would use the most, uh, which is just it's just oily perfume, right? And then like the frankincense. I mean, these these are venerative gifts, right? They're sure. like is, 
they're also supposed to be symbolic, right? Now, again, like this probably is not in the biblical text, but like gold is like worthy of a king, and then like, the frankincense and myrrh have something to do with like you know, presaging his uh, death and suffering via crucifixion. Uh, it, am I making this up? This is no, like no. A, this interpretation, right? Yeah, but but of course, like when you're talking about the Bible, you're talking about like the foundation of hermeneutics and interpretation, and so and really of like Western overthinking in a lot of respects. <laughs> you know, where it's, it's like. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, we are in a biblical tradition. This podcast is in a biblical tradition. I love, yep. I love that. You know, that's you know, yeah. that's the overthinking. It is the reason for the season. Yeah, exactly. Well, because because you know, spiritual not spiritual. Uh, the word I'm looking for is scriptural. Scriptural writing is not known for its strict simplicity and strict adherence to kind of factual. Uh, elegance, right? You know, what, like, you know what they need? You know what, Pete? You know what we need to do? We need to get the U.S. Department of State. <laughs> the State to, Department English Language Learner's yeah, Bible. English Language like, Learner's Bible, right? Yep. Like, uh, that would be so, I mean, that would be so funny. I actually like, I, I, I put that out there as a challenge to the listener, right? If you want to, if you want to come on the discord or get in the comments and like write a couple <laughs> books of one of the synoptic gospel, like write a couple books of the gospel of Mark in a like easy learning English language thing. Of course, this is, this is, I mean, we're, we're forgetting what, you know, as non Bible reading Catholics ourselves, we're, we forget what a huge industry Christian book buying is. So I'm sure that it exists. I'm sure that. That, like baby Bibles exist. Speak you can also yourself. just like ask, you can also just ask ChatGPT to do it. By the yeah. way, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if you invested ten times more of your own time, you could do a little bit of the work at a higher quality than ChatGPT could. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, but but um. Well, Pete, if yeah. I invested ten times of my ten times my own money, I wouldn't buy clothes at Old Navy, and they would you know last more than five months, right? Like, yeah. but why? Who wants to do that? Well, so O. Henry does have a fun little line about about the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Which is he says that their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication, <laughs> right? Like as in, like, well, if you already had gold, you could always trade this gold in for something else that you wanted, right? Like, like the frankincense is good. You could take the frankincense to any frankincense store and you could swap that for frankincense credit, right? Like, uh, <laughs> the, the myrrh is like inherent as a, has a, has a, has a trade value, a secondary market value, right? Did they have, um, did they have instruments? Did they have like currency instruments in, uh, in, you know, biblical Judea? Oh, sure. Like, yeah. Sure. The coin, right? Render unto oh, yes. that Caesar's, yeah, whose, right? Whose image is on the coin? Yes, of course. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I think, I think there's at least some, uh, or was the coin that, gold? Was the coin gold? And the point of the, the, the coin is that it's a quantity of gold. So, okay. So now you're getting into hermeneutics, right? <laughs> Which is the idea that like, that like figuring it out is not a bug in Christianity or Abrahamic religions in general, right? It's like sort of part of the process of participating in it is like dwelling with it and and figuring things out, right? And kind of like sorting through all this stuff uh, that that kind of engages and draws in all this stuff about the parables. Not what well, you know they have the parables don't make sense and it's on purpose, <laughs> you know, like that's uh, so. So in that sense, that's the sort of style. Of course, I'm really thinking about like John Guillory and uh, poetic authority. And then the sort of process by which later writers attempt to recreate the sense of scriptureness by creating ambiguities and creating, you know, mysteries uh, and, and irresolutions that people are kind of led into to think about. But we should also talk about this story, 
uh, which does have a resolution, although it does have a certain mystery to it. Yeah, um, it's, it's true. Yeah. Did um, you find anything in your story of the three Magi that really struck you? Because I feel like the connection between the Magi and this story, maybe it's just that I always throw away the first interpretation as being too obvious, but it seems like it's not as cut and dried as the summaries on spark notes or whatnot would lead you to think that it is. Oh, well, Pete, um, did you see, I posted, I posted yep. in our Slack channel. I, uh, I Googled, I actually, so this is a real problem I have. Here's another digression, but I'm, I'm full of them tonight. We started a little late because we were reading. So, so I've had a, uh, maybe a, a sip or two of Christmas whiskey, but, but baby, it's, it's cold outside. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I, you know, I have trouble, like sometimes I would like to see, something along the lines of what has the critical reaction to this work of literature been over time, right? Sort of like what you would get at the end of a Norton critical edition where they will excerpt like five pages of the 10 most influential books that have been written about, you know, whatever Anna Karenina or something, or like the picture of Dorian Gray, right? Like over, over time, um, and like there will be like contemporary newspaper reviews and then there will be like some some contemporary people then there will be like you know giants like some big you know people writing on stuff and then there will be maybe some some more modern critical perspectives and like i i look for that on the internet and i get sent to like homeworkhelp.study.gov homeworkhelp.study.gov like is a repository of pre-made papers and things like this so i you know i don't know i googled like uh, something like, um, critical response to the gift of the Magi or, or, you know, uh, gift of the Magi interpretations or something like that. Um, and, uh, I got a Google suggested question. People also ask, and it was, what was the purpose of O. Henry in writing the gift of the Magi? <laughs> and homework.study.com says, Henry's purpose in writing The Gift of the Magi was to show that material possessions are not as important as true love. <laughs> now, that statement is false. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what uh, say it's because he was like short on money as evinced by the fact that he had once embezzled his bank. So they needed to make he some did that. I mean, He probably did that for fun. You know, I don't know. But the... the <laughs> um, yeah, the... Uh, the uh, no, that it's, it's not, it's no. Yeah. The, the relationship of the, the relationship of the gift of the Magi was not, um, you know, uh, it, to, to the, to the Magi is not entirely clear to me, right? Like when, when we think of the tradition has the Magi as like Eastern Kings, you know, from, from farther East than, than Bethlehem, maybe like, you know, uh, uh, modern day Iran or something like that. And that's, that's like, um, okay, so, so cool. Uh, they're, they're kings. They're probably not doing what the story is, uh, is depicting and like giving the most valuable thing they have and, and sort of like making, right? Like making, a, making a sacrifice, you know, because like the, 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 um, the story is, is about at least a little bit about, about sacrifice is about like kind of like the, the standard, the bar for a good gift, uh, or a, a gift that demonstrates love being one that, um, one that involves a, a little bit of, a little bit of sacrifice. No. And that's not really what the, what the, the gifts of the actual three wise men 
were the actual three wise men, the biblical three wise men, I should say, were they were, as Pete says, they were they were ceremonial, right? Like they were, you know, I don't know the way that 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 you present the the British monarch with like three thistles and a golden acorn or something like that. And it was, you know, commemorate something that happened in, in 1295, right? Like that they're, they're, uh, uh, they're Sarah, they're, they're gestures. They're, um, empty, uh, empty gestures, not, not empty. They're, they're full of, of, of meaning, but they're, they're non, uh, utilitarian, um, type of gifts. I mean, though, I don't know who knows with that myrrh might've been stinky in that, in that stable. And, uh, maybe, maybe a little myrrh might, uh, you know, I don't know, taking the, uh, taking the edge off. You rub it, you rub it right underneath your nose, like you do with like a vapor rub or something like that. And it just, uh, clears the, clears the sinuses, Right out. I don't know, Mark. Did you have a Did you have a reaction to the to the story and the the biblical magi? Yeah, I'm I'm working on one here. Um, here's let's put this out there as a starting point at least. Right. So if the answer to the question is like, what was the gift of the magi in relation to this story? The gift was creating the opportunity to give gifts in this most kind of important way. That is the gift, and then in turn, the 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 gift that they give, or at least like almost like then the the story makes a twist and says that the gift of the Magi, as we're supposed to uh, read it here, is actually the gift or the lesson that Della and Jim are giving us, which is that of what you said before, uh, Matt, which is that um, you know good gift giving requires some sacrifice and pain. Yeah. So that's where that's where I'm at here, which is that like kind of like you know the 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 um, the lesson. The gift is a lesson, and then the magi have kind of been transposed from one context into another. Um, and and I think there's just like something else there with the the the, the their function is, is a contrast of well, which is that you have this sense of the magi and like kind of the whatever their you know we three kings of Orient are their splendor contrasted with the um, the 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 fairly humble and, and poor nature of uh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph in the manger. And then you transpose that, and there's a useful trend, um, um, compare and contrast with the modern, modern, quote unquote, modern, turn of the century American urban setting, right? Where the aforementioned, what's that word again? It's like <laughs> the vagrant squad, the mendicancy squad. I'm probably pronouncing that the wrong way, right? It's um, so shabby that like the homeless squad um, could pick them up off the street uh, because of that, right? That's that, that, that confluence of imagery is going on there. So that's what I got. Um, I don't know, Pete. You want to try to take it from there and uh, see what I'm going to write or going to run? The Mendicancy Squad. Um, I think that I mean mendicants are friars, right? And they, so it would be well, like they're beggars. Uh, they're, beg- I mean, friars, they're, beggars they're like yeah. friars mendicant, right? Or, or right. yeah. Um, but it's yeah, it's to prevent it's to prevent uh, to prevent begging. You know. So are we still at the point where we're talking about O. Henry's intention? Um, I think, so. or at least if not his intention, then like, like you know, kind of the that. That's the core and uh, transpose connection between the biblical ma- gift and the Magi story, and then yeah. what it is that we're reading here. Yeah. So there's, of course, the other biblical story of the woman who gives just the few coppers at the temple because it's all she has, right? And Jesus says she's like the best person or the most, she gave the most, right? Yeah. Basically, like, basically in the Bible, Jesus is all about means-tested uh, taxes and charitable donations, <laughs> right? It's like the richer you are, the more you have to give in order to have given the same as somebody who is poorer than you, which yeah. practically speaking makes a lot of sense. 
Another um, sidebar, right? You know, the it's easier for a rich man to you know pass by the needle than uh, than to get into the, enter the, uh, the kingdom of heaven, right? Yep. It's the it's yep. the it's the rich man who says like oh you know let me follow you what does it want me to do what does it want me to do it's like, okay I can do that I can do that and the last thing Jesus said is like so all of your possessions are gonna follow me and the rich guy's like eh, let me think about it yeah yeah exactly and, it's like, ah, I've heard the Mithri the Mithridites or not the Mithrites the the Mithrils uh, man wait I no Mithril, Mithril is a is a, a magical armor yes. that Frodo Mithril wears? is no. a magical armor Mithridates is a king of northern Africa. What's the word I'm looking for? Mithrists? The ones who s- s- worship Mithras. I'm trying to make a joke about the multiple monotheistic uh, religions at the time period, but I'm failing miserably. And one might even say mithrably. Um, <laughs> but, but okay, so here, here's, here's something to potentially bring up. Oh, Henry likes irony, right? <laughs> and so I was about to say uh, at the very beginning, I wanted to say, isn't it ironic? Don't yeah. you don't you think? <laughs> and it is really funny that a, when you when you th- if you think about it, it's really funny that the most the story most famous for being ironic that doesn't involve ancient Greek people stabbing their eyes out uh, is is a story that people claim has a clear cut moral, right? That is unambiguous and has like no uh, no irony to it, right? It's utterly unironic. Uh, so, which, which of course I think reading the story is very much not the case. So I think that the, the connection, the story is concerned with the irony of the love being worth more than the money, but the money sure being worth the whole heck of a lot, right? Like, like it goes to a lot of trouble to describe how much poverty these people are in the, the one eight seven, by the way, I just, if you ever want to like wonder how conspiracy theories happen just sort of sit with a moment with the idea that the number 187 gets repeated multiple times through the story as the amount of money that Della has on her person and like think about like well the story could be about like a murder in Los Angeles <laughs> or like killing the police or something like right because it's about it says 187 all the time it's right there and it's like <laughs> Wake up, sheeple! Wake up, sheeple! Wake up, wake up, oxpole! Wake up, asspole! Wake up, sheeple! Wake up, pum 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 pum! pum. (laughs) Wake up, shepherds! I bring you tidings of great joy that are for all people. Uh, But guys, listen, guys, jet jet fuel doesn't melt uh, gold watch chains. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it's platinum. But also that um. Just feel how easily your brain slips into that thought pattern, like how eager your brain is to entertain the possibility that the gift of the Magi is a Snoop Dogg uh, uh, joint, right? Like uh, when you hear 187 over and over again, and then you'll know the, the quality of thinking that the human race is saddled with in most of our endeavors. But but yes, like uh, that that that. There's an irony between the suffering of their poverty and that is constantly harped upon and also the joy of their being together and also being young and pretty. Like, let's not, you know, let's not get that wrong. You know, they are they are thin but pretty uh, and, and in love. And I, so I mean, that was funny that that struck me. Right. Like, whereas thin, thin would have been like a blemish on the, yeah. you know, on their attractiveness at the time. Like, I, I they didn't look well fed. Uh, right. anyway. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, and so, yeah, like, I think, I mean, the, what, the part that really sticks with me of all this is that when they're describing her, um, they're describing her hair, when O'Henry's describing her hair, he talks about it like a puddle of brown water, 
right? And it's like, and when she when she takes her hair down to have it cut off, it's like the brown waterfall comes down. And like, man, you know, a brown waterfall is not something that you want to be involved with, <laughs> like either as the source or the destination, right? Like a brown waterfall is just bad news. Uh, she puts on her brown coat and her brown hat and her brown waterfall and her brown life, her gray life on her gray street with her gray stuff. Right. Um, but she's but she's truly happy because she's in love. And she is. But sorry, Mark, what were you saying? Yeah, I mean, like, I think to the point again, isn't that ironic, don't you think? Um, yeah, yeah, that's um, it's OK. Sure. Right. It's referred to as brown water. Right. Which sounds kind of gross. But immediately before uh, that reference drops, oh, Henry writes. So now Della's beautiful hair, fe- beautiful hair fell about her rippling and shining. Like a cascade of brown waters. Yes. <laughs> I just love it. Right. I just the love contrast it. there, right? I, I didn't yeah. really register with me as I was speed reading it before uh, before we recorded this, but now that we're kind of framing it, and like, oh, hey, oh, Henry likes irony. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, there's irony in all these little things, and like, I guess maybe part of the proposition here is well, that I mean, the gifts there, of the magic themselves are ironic. Yeah, there, go ahead. There, there might not be enough irony because they they might be malnourished and and might need some irony yeah. in their in their diet. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't have they don't have ironies. They have anemia. <laughs> yeah, they have, like, scurvy the of the- they have scurvy haste. They might need some nutrients, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the gifts of the Magi themselves are ironic because they are for a baby, but not things a baby would want, right? And are, like, super expensive, but for uh, an entity whose, like, very existence is is pursuing the act of stripping itself of glory, right? Like, while at the same time, you know— clothing itself in glory, right? There's that sort of irony. There's, very ir- there's an irony in the nativity story. There's an irony in the idea of, you know, God becoming a person. Um, and like what that, and also a homeless person, right? Like, and also yeah. like a, a mendicant, right? Like who has to mm-hmm. beg for a place to sleep, uh, or as his mom does. Of course, we should talk about Mary because we're Catholics, but. Um, mm. Being born in deplorable existence. By the way, tangent, okay? Like Matt's had his tangents. Let's talk about it for a second, right? I don't know about you, Pete. But I didn't fully appreciate the um, importance of, let's say, like, you know, uh, a woman be able to give birth in very sanitary conditions until I myself was in the said sanitary condition. Oh, yeah. So what a crazy thing it is for a woman to give live birth to a child. Um, Yeah. And then to imagine, like, you know, our our dear savior, our sweet little baby Jesus, our tiny baby Jesus um, to come into this world. Uh, into next to like literally donkey poop, right yeah. on on the straw, away yeah. in a manger, no crib for yeah. a bed. Um, yep. That's kind of horrifying. There that's aren't, there isn't enough poop in Christmas carols. Oh, the whole thing is surrounded uh-huh. by poop, baby right, yeah. poop, human poop, animal poop, just heaps of manure. Good, there's more. Good, it, good it, King Wenceslas most- went out on the feast of Stephen when the poop lay round about, <laughs> stinky brown and even. <laughs> I mean, what is where do they put the baby Jesus in the manger? Mange, Mared, Mange, good luck. You're on the stage. Hello. Um, No, nothing. That's the tradition, stage tradition, right? Mared and Mange. Mange, I know Mared. I don't know Mange. That's oh, uh, I had I'd heard of it as a call and response, where it's like uh, you're you would say Mared to say, to wish someone good luck when they're about to go on stage. That's right? all I know. But then what do you yeah. say? The response is my and and also and with thy spirit. I think the response is I need it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> something along those lines. Maybe I'm not interpreting oh, got it. it correctly. So it's about the Eucharist. 
Well, yeah. So, like, okay, it doesn't sound like we're talking about Gift of the Magi, but we are, right? That's that's the point, right? Is that this is an ironic story where people do ironic things in ironic circumstances, and also, I think, in it, why is it a Christmas story? I guess is part of what we're talking about. Why is this a Christmas story uh, instead of just an English class story? That's an interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, that is an interesting question. Why? Why? why Pete? I, I tell, oh, don't make it a rhetorical question. Say why it is sure. a Christmas story, please. Sure. And I know there's a lot of stuff we could talk about with regards to this before I go too off the deep end. But I will say that I I did particularly like. For me, the Downton Abbey moment of the story, even though it's a, a script, is where they talk about the man's name shrinking over the course of his oh, that's good, yeah, life living condition deteriorating. Sure. Which is like when he felt rich, his he has three names on the door, and then when he stops being rich, you know, his name starts being erased and replaced with an initial, and then he has only two names. But then when he's in his wife's arms, he has only one name. And I guess the question then is that is that a climax? Is it an anticlimax? What's the trajectory? And it's like a path toward absolute love that is also a path toward absolute poverty, which is also very similar to the nativity story, which is like a movement from divinity to mm. humanity, right? Like um, the idea that it's really important for these sort of vaunted and and this vaunted and and omnipotent being to like you know step into this role as as this very low creature you know on this on this world and it's not, uh, like and the, out of love right the christmas story is at pains to kind of like like we talked about the manger right like well manger is a is a feeding trough feeding trough is in a stable like there's no room at the inn you can be in stable now like it's you it, it's um probably historically i i don't know like it's probably historically it doesn't look like the kind of like the the uh 17th century english nativity scenes that you see with like the half timber cottages and the like yeah, the yeah. you know whatever this was a these were I, I mean not exactly caves but kind of more like like mud and like sod and and like uh you know earth structures uh right and what exactly was the stable and what was the rooms at the end and stuff like that is is probably not when not what you think of, you know, as like the, you know, it's not like the, they, uh, they had like the courtyard by Marriott and like, uh, they couldn't, so they had to like go to the petting zoo next door. Was it yeah. maybe, maybe <laughs> oh, a little I have to go to the Fairfield Inn in Suites? Uh, oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, God, I wanted a, I wanted a, like a, a Bonvoy level four at least, you know? <laughs> Are you a Marriott Bonvoy member, Matt? Please, Marriott Bonvoy, give us money and we'll talk about you on the podcast. Uh, the, um, it is uh, the reason for the season, expensive hotel rooms when you're traveling to see your I family. Didn't, I actually, this, I, I, I uh, passed on a, a family trip this in de- December to New York because the, the freaking courtyard was like $900 a night. No, just no, I'm not going to, not going to do that. Not going to do that for the, like the scrambled egg product that they put in the steam tray every morning. Uh, <laughs> Every morning in the lobby, but like, sorry, we, we I got a, I've got a very good AAA rate at the Residence Inn, man. You just got to know how to game the system. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but but then I sold my car to buy the hotel reservation, and I can't drive there. I can't drive to and the then hotel. my wife left <laughs> to go join the circus. Wait, no, that's not, I don't know what's going on. It's, it's like Ray It's like Ray on your wedding. <laughs> but it's that yeah. I mean, like the I think one of the things there is an irony to the to the gifts of the of the Magi because they are being brought to 
they're being brought to the petting zoo but behind the courtyard by Marriott, right? Like right. they're, you know, and the the kind of the lowliness of the lowliness of this situation is is emphasized at every turn. Like there's there's a very strong sort of Dianu uh component to it, which is like, you know, if only he had been, you know, born immortal Dianu. If only he had been born in Bethlehem, Dianu. If only he'd been born at some obscure country in Dianu. If only he'd been born in a stable Dianu. Yeah. If only they laid him to drink in a major, a manger, mared. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, that's yeah. a that it it really does kind of strain the. Uh, strain the aerobics of, of sort of destitution in order to sort of show you how, uh, how humble, uh, right. how humble it is. And then all of this, all of this kind of royal paraphernalia, uh, is, you know, thrown into sharp relief by the, by the, the humble qualities of the setting. And then this is, of course, the the practical reality of giving of being broke because you're giving people Christmas gifts. I mean, right. that's something I've experienced many times, right? Where it's like I I don't know how I'm going to pay this back. <laughs> right? Like, okay, we're getting through it, right? Like this many dollars for you, this many dollars for you, this many dollars for you, right? Like, I'll, it's all even. Everyone gets the same because oh, I love Pete, them all the same. No, Pete, you know, that's like, when you start. You, you just take out your pencil and start writing coupons at that point, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> everyone everyone gets a back rub right like everyone gets like a five minute back rub you know and that's uh and merry freaking christmas that's uh you know, i no. I'm, I'm definitely i've done all many many new year's eve mall trips which uh, are just it's just the worst idea in the world <laughs> um and uh and yeah and I, I used to I, when i lived in new york i used to go to the virgin megastore and do all my christmas shopping at the virgin megastore in times square um, not necessarily a great place to go if you want great prices, but at the time all it was all MSRP anyway. Um, you could get DVDs for a lot cheaper now. Uh, but yeah, the, the, I guess the point is like the point is not that people go broke buying Christmas presents out of veneration of the biblical story <laughs> of God becoming a poor child, right. right? Like that's not why you do it, but there's an observation that there's a consonance between the stories, right? I mean, this is also part of how religious and 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 uh, scriptural stories work is like they they have a lot of resonances and people are constantly have them on their minds and are looking for connections between these uh, these traditional stories and the things that are happening to them. And so it's like, oh, yeah, these people are sort of like the Magi and that they bring these precious gifts to each other uh, that are are kind of be both misplaced and also totally placed. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's it feels like Christmas to me. It feels it feels like hang a shining star upon the highest bow a little bit. Um, you know, not too many Christmas stories where a woman collapses on the couch howling out of despair. Well, that's, I, I mean, like, the, yeah, this is definitely there. Are definitely some like you know deep cultural sexist tropes in this. Like one one is that uh, you know uh, one is that ladies be shopping. <laughs> Right? Well, and yeah, the, yeah, and the way the way that that he describes, oh, once once she had twenty bucks in her in her pocket, once she sold her hair, right, like that twenty bucks in her pocket, um, you know, oh man, the the rest of the afternoon was like, uh, oh, tripped by on rosy wings, 
Uh, and it says, oh, in the next two hours, trip by on Rosie Wings. Forget the hashed metaphor. She was ransacking the stores for Jim's present, right? Like, uh, ladies be shopping, you know, that's, uh, and, and also like, she's just too, she's too emotional, right? Like, uh, what is the one The life is made up of sobs, sniffles, and smiles with sniffles predominating. And while the mistress of the house is gradually subsiding from the first stage to the second, take a look at the home, a furnished flat at eight, sorry, I'm going on, but the, the, she's, uh, she's going from, uh, she's going from sniffles, sobs to sobs to sniffles. And then Jim comes home and, and it takes his like, what did it say? Like the, the lordly ministrations of the, uh, of the Lord of the manor or something to, uh, to calm her down in order once she like saw that he had bought her combs, but yeah. she had uh, thrown, let's, let's read it out here. Alas, a quick feminine change to hysterical tears and wails necessitating the immediate employment of all the comforting powers of the Lord of the flat. Oh, I'm, kind of, I'm starting to think, Oh, Henry doesn't know how to write women guys. <laughs> <laughs> ironic. Not ironic. Don't you think? This is a story. It is a Morissettian irony. Yeah, that's yeah. true. The um no, but this is a story that passes the Bechdel test, right? Because uh yeah. the uh Della speaks with uh with Madame Sophronie uh about something that is not a man, about the cost of her hair. Um yeah. And that's, uh, you know, though, though the cost of her hair is really just ancillary to the gift that she's going to, to get about her husband. So the thing that's actually being, being transacted, I suppose, has to do, uh, has to do with the man. Um, so this is a, this is a great yeah. little ironic line. Before we move on from the shopping and the sort of, uh, the sort of vibe of the shopping in this story, which is great, uh, is the, um, I, I just want to quote this line, uh, when she first buys the platinum watch fob, there's this line. It was platinum fob chain, simple and chaste in design, properly proclaiming its value by substance alone and not by meretricious ornamentation, as all good things should do. <laughs> which is like amazing, right? Uh, which is which it, it just cuts across the story in so many ways, which is like, oh, are we saying that this woman's long hair with her like brown coat and her brown hat and her like flop house mm. apartment is like meretricious ornamentation and thus like not virtuous because we're also in this Christian mindset of like being, you know, lowering yourself to the most humble baby child is, is the good thing to do. No, I mean, let's uh, also, get... Oh yeah. It's also, it's a platinum piece of jewelry that's being, that's attached to a watch to make it look fancier. I mean, I suppose it is functional, but like, it's it is certainly meretricious ornamentation to have a platinum watch fob on your gold yeah. watch. They well, don't right, like, match because he has like, a he has like a leather he has a leather strap that he like he has like a shoelace or whatever that yeah. he ties his, his watch on now and he's like too embarrassed to pull out his grand gold watch and look at it because it's uh you know because it's a shoelace. Um, yeah, can, I, can uh, I have something else here? Do you know what else is meretricious ornamentation, guys? Writing the words meretricious ornamentation. <laughs> In your six-page short story. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. All features, no bugs, no notes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, I, I think actually what this, what this makes me think of, uh, what this makes me think about is the rise of a middle class, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
and that there's there's a little bit of of well there's there's a little bit of status anxiety right like the 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 necessity the necessity to distinguish between simple chaste design and meretricious ornamentation right uh that those like strivers would have you know that those those middle class people would have those things like are not um you know, uh, those it wouldn't be necessary if everyone was kind of like uh, clear about clear about their status. But things that are gaudy, right? Like things that are sort of above their station. Things that are like maybe uh, maybe pricey, but have no have no taste. You know, have no value, right? Like this is a discourse that's enabled by social mobility and also by the the you know post industrial availability of. Um, the post-industrial availability of kind of like consumer goods as we, as we think of them now, you know, which has been like exploded in the last 10 or 20 years by the, the availability of, and you know, never more relevant than at Christmas, the, the availability of, of, uh, uh, like cheap crap manufactured in China and sort of shipped, shipped here and, and sold at target. Right. Uh, or what I call pre-trash, you know, and uh, you find like if you go to enough, if you go to enough like office Christmas parties, you know, if you go to enough like whatever, like you'll find that eighty percent of of what is exchanged is sort of is like pre trash. But this stuff is, you know, I don't know, like uh, uh, is in relation to like quality goods as um, as uh, Harry Frankfurt's idea of bullshit is in relationship to you know uh, truthful discourse, right? Like it's it's just there to. It's just there to like fill up the tissue paper inside the, uh, inside the gift bag. And like that, that is, um, you know, I don't know. That's, I guess we've gone to a, like a historicist reading of, of this, but like this has something to do with the, the material conditions of the, uh, of the time in which it, th- this, this story was written, like this kind of pre World War One you know, uh, time here in, in New York. And like the, the, um, the focus on amounts of money, like it is, you know, it starts with an amount of money, one, eight, seven, one, eight, seven, uh, cents. Um, and 60 cents of it was in pennies. By the way, there is no way to have 60 pennies and then n- have no other pennies and to count to, uh, and to count to 187 cents, <laughs> by I, I the way, because where does the like seven come bits? from? Wasn't there like two cent coins actually back then? Yeah, but then where would the oh, where would the extra penny come from? You can't have a you could have any odd number of pennies and make it work, but not a not an even. Well, you could have a penny. nickel. And and okay, here's a more pertinent question for the <laughs> historical economic considerations of the time. Like, no, 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 buy, no, Mark, buy, don't buy, ask buy, a pertinent buy, question. One penny, two pennies, <laughs> three. Yeah, sorry. Um, buying on credit wasn't an option, right? Like, there's. I mean, my point well, here no, actually. No, no, no. Credit that, like, would have been. Not a, actually, to be clear here, we're not actually really meant to closely interrogate <laughs> the consumerism, uh, or you know, kind of the the, the specific economic. Sure, but there's uh, so many. It's just like they're poor, and there's like this is very finite amount of money, and like 
That's the it. two cent coin was out of circuit was out of production thirty years before this story <laughs> takes place. <laughs> tuppence. There was there no. There theory. was no tuppence. This is not. This is not Mary Poppins times. There's no. There's no tuppence. But like. But okay. I mean, fair, fair enough, Mark. In a in a little bit, like it's it, maybe it's a little hand wavy in terms of the like a store has to extend you credit. So like it would be like your grocer or someone who you're on a who you're on some sort of good good terms with um because there weren't like credit cards there weren't like instruments of credit that you know that that we have now but my point was that like there is this like very material uh focus on specific dollars uh specific dollars amount right della has 100 has one dollar 87 cents uh uh jim makes uh 30 bucks well he used to make 30 bucks per week now he makes 20 bucks per week the the flat costs uh, $8 per week. It did not exactly beggar description, which by the way is a reference to Antony and Cleopatra. It did not exactly beggar description, but it certainly had that word on the lookout for the mendicancy squad, which is a dad joke. It's, it's yes. a, <laughs> right? Like that's, uh, it didn't beggar description, but description was on the lookout for the beggar police. <laughs> um, uh, as for herself, it beggared all description. Uh, she sat in her in her pavilion, cloth of gold of tissue, or picturing that Venus where we see the fancy outwork nature. It's a it's a, a description of Cleo, Cleopatra by Ina Barbus, and um, you know, like so it's it's being it's being kind of like pathetically dragged down to the like the rooming house like level where uh, furnished furnished flat at uh, at eight dollars per. Per week, like the the detail of the pier glass of the like the um, thin reflective strip of glass in the the kind of like um, strip of of mirror in their their apartment where you can like see yourself if you uh, if you like turn really really quickly you can see yourself in in uh, as though as though you have a photograph that's been like put through a shredder you know and all you see are the 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 thin strips right like there's a great deal you know. There's a great deal of like specific material detail, like good good narrative eye for the for the details that make it. But I think there's also something something to do with like a middle class, and like I think it's it's not accidental that Jim sells his patrimony, right? Like that the the watch was uh, you know the watch was handed to him by Christopher Walken, who carried it through the war in his ass, and that's. <laughs> No, but the, that the watch was passed down. That's a from, reference to Anthony and Cleopatra, right there. <laughs> the the barge she sat in, like a burnished throne, burned on the water. Um, the uh, you know that the the watch is a patrimony. It was passed down from his father, who got it from his grandfather, and it's being sold. It's being sort of exchanged for cash, and then turned into you know turned into a, a sort of a consumer good, a, a decoration, a meretricious ornamentation, if you will, for. Uh, for um for for Della's hair, I don't know the the something about the something about the slight whiff of snobbery in uh the simple chased uh platinum uh platinum fob chain uh, watch chain makes it makes me think that there's there's something going on here about kind of a reorganization of the classes. Oh yeah, for sure, for good sure. times good time well and like and also that it's not brand new that, that there's a preconceived idea of the way that the classes have been right such that there can be a like popular symbology of it um and that these are people who could have been who were there 
and are not anymore. It's it is wild that they're so young. Um, yeah, it's uh, I mean, are they wise that I have a real I have real trouble unpacking the end of the story in terms of the word wise. Uh huh. What does the word wise mean? Ah, so like a wise guy, huh? Yeah. So like. So just to, to go through it, yeah, the magi a, wi- a wise man, huh? That's what <laughs> that's what Joseph said when the when the magi entered the uh, entered the this table. Wise man, eh? Uh, so the word wise appears fifteen times in the story, uh, and ten, nine of them are in the last paragraph. <laughs> so it's it, they really talk about wise a lot. Um, so it's the three. There were wise men, wonderfully wise men, not just wise men, but wonderfully wise, wise men. Uh, and that because they were wise or being wise, not because, but being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones. Uh, and then it's like because you can trade them in at the store for store credit. <laughs> uh, and uh, here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicles of two foolish children who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasure of their house. But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that all the gifts these two were the wisest. And they're also be, they're earlier in the story. They're described, I think, as not wise. Uh, oh, no, that was in the State Department one. They aren't wise, but they gave wise gifts. And this well, one that, is. Yeah. Uh, so, OK, so that that's like so these are I, I think what he's saying is that like, OK, by the calculus of by the calculus of wisdom, uh, you know, as you understand it. Right. Like yeah. uh, these these people are unwise. Um uh but uh of all who gives gifts these two were the wisest so like all gift givers are fools right like it's it's uh, a it's a world's tallest midget situation right like the oh, gotcha. the you know okay they were unwise but of gift givers all gift givers of uh, are fools but of the gift gift giving fools these two are at the top of the chain so they're medium right they're like uh they're counterpoise between wisdom and foolishness at the at on the cusp of the the uh the gift givers so like so i think there's something about like like saying like gift giving gift giving is an unwise uh an unwise thing or at least the way we practice it in my family at christmas it's an unwise yeah. uh it's an unwise thing but the um you know uh and and generally ends in tears uh and you know the the lord of the Manor has to has to intervene but the uh you know like that that um if you are going to give if you're going to give gifts the wisest way to give gifts is to sort of give of yourself, you know, to, to, to demonstrate your love, right. To have a, to have a, uh, you know, to have a, um, yeah, a, a, a gift that, that involves sacrifice that involves kind of like a, a total commitment. Um, you know, the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed, you know, and that's like, uh, uh, and the oxen ass, ass kept time. Pum pum pum. Um, they are the wisest everywhere. They are the wisest. They are the the magi, right? Like, and and something something in the sense of like um, something in the sense of like their their selfless love is what we want to to emulate, and the kind of the joy that they take in uh, in their selfless love. Like, why isn't Jim pissed off when he comes back? You know, and and realizes that like this hair, this hair like brown water that he was so he was so. Um, excited to to see ornamented meretriciously with these uh tortoiseshell combs jewel with uh jeweled rims um that i mean i got i got platinum rims 
uh you know 20 inch 20 inch platinum rims but the, but these combs have jeweled <laughs> rims but the uh, uh you know he, why is he not pissed off it's because he realized that he extended himself to kind of his fullest extent and then she also extended herself to her her fullest extent or i, I suppose de-extended herself in, in that she cut off her hair she made her hair short a page boy bob like a like a zigfield follies girl or a common whore uh you know and that she was willing to do this uh to do this for him i don't know that's that's the read i have and and Pete, like that's that's probably too simplistic it's very sentimental but like something about something about christmas stories makes me like lean towards the the sentimental yeah. uh readings yeah i want to correct myself the word wise only appears in the last paragraph of the story which is a in which the magi are named so it's not the gift of the wise men the other times that i was searching for it it's in footnotes um and uh yeah um I'm just I'm looking through this. I'm just seeing it's so dense with different references to different stories um, to different to like biblical and classical references. Uh, the the one that I am seeing now that's sticking with me is uh, where is your hair gone? He says, and she says, you needn't look for it. It's sold. I tell you sold and gone. Uh, it's Christmas Eve, boy. Be good to me for it went for you. Uh-huh. Which is like, this is all like, and then it says, maybe the hairs of my head were numbered. So these are like all biblical references, sure. right? Like, where is he? Well, you don't need to look for him, right? Like, don't look for him in the tomb, right? you know? And, but it's like, oh, it's been sold. You don't have to look for it because it's been sold, which is like, there's a there's a real pathetic drop there uh, where it's like, don't look for my hair. Not like, it's with you always. It's like, it, it's it's money now. <laughs> it's, it's been commodified. It's pieces right? of like, silver. I got I got 30 pieces of silver for my hair. Yeah, and then it's like, it's Christmas Eve, boy, which is, that's Dickens, right? Yeah. Um, and then, because like, he says, boy, she calls what day, boy. What day is it? What day yeah. is it, right? Scrooge shouts out the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that line, be good to me, for it went for you. Yeah, my hair was <laughs> like, sold. My hair was sold for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and the, yeah, which will be given up for you, right? Which is like the, uh, uh, the yes. last supper. Um and then the hairs of my head were numbered. The footnotes here say that's in a reference to um he has numbered, yeah, he has numbered the day he has numbered the hairs on your head, right? Like that's yeah. there's special providence in this in the the fall of a sparrow. And then um, she, of course, she is signaled as a sparrow, I think, by all the brown that's on her. Mm. Um, and a sparrow is a portentous. But we talked about the like sparrows in literature, which is kind of confounding because it doesn't mean what it used to anymore, I think. Um, and we, But we talked about Catullus. That was a past podcast. Maybe the um, hairs in my head were numbered, she went on with sudden serious sweetness. But nobody could ever count my love for you. Shall I put the chops on, Jim? Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny also because chops are a form of facial hair, which would be hilarious. <laughs> she just put on chops. But no, that's <laughs> I had there was face. enough hair left over to make the me these uh these mutton chops, these theatrical mutton chops. You told me Let- you always liked Isaac Asimov, so I made you these giant mutton chops. Let me grab the spirit gum and put them on <laughs> you. <laughs> we could use them in our role playing, Jim, because we're young and in fact. Yeah. I just think that there is something sacred about, you know, giving in this spirit of devotional love, you know, of like giving of yourself in, in just this this very, very just stripped down notion of like the only important thing for me is that I love you.
Yeah. You know, and the, the idea that this is like an organ that is, is an organizing principle for the universe yeah. uh, is, is part of the nativity story and how it all connects. I think, um, I mean, I don't know, Mark, what did you see as the, as the, the, the connective tissue here as the, like the final lesson? Uh, it's almost like you're going to take away what you want from it. Mm. <laughs> that, that the gift giving is, uh, is, is kind of silly that these are young fools, foolish young people. Um, their the wisdom that they are imparting is that don't be like them, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or is it like, oh, how sweet it is that, that um, um, you know that they that they gave so much that it hurt. Um, and what a great example it is they're setting. I mean, it's it's kind of it's it's an all of the above sort of thing here. Um, and uh, I don't think I honestly fully appreciated the kind of multi layered uh, uh, interpretation of this until we just had this discussion. So thanks. Ho, ho, <laughs> it turns ho. out that literature doesn't begin and end in your high school English class. You can come back to it as an adult and enjoy it in a whole different way. So, so much better because uh, in your high school English class, you read the State Department Baudelaire's <laughs> version. Hey, we probably got to leave it there, but thanks, uh, thanks everyone for listening. You know, uh, Mer- Merry Christmas. Hope, hope your gifts uh, go over better than the gifts of the, the Magi um, because, uh, you know, the, the, the baby Jesus spilled all the myrrh on the ground and, uh, uh, and knocked over the frankincense, set fire to the straw, and burned down the stable. It's a terrible giving 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 a baby something flammable is a terrible <laughs> idea. Don't give a baby something flammable. It's the it's just like the 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 pediat the American Pediatric Association is so clear on this yep. uh, on this topic. So you know that's uh, yep. uh, it says the, it right there on the sleep sack. Not on fire is best. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but uh anything that's inflammable uh yes. that's uh that's, that's fine. fine that's totally fine that's <laughs> totally fine all right we'll leave it there we'll be back uh, next week with more overthinking podcast till that i actually think is our next our next podcast will be on upon christmas day won't <laughs> that's uh that's sort of funny um but uh well until then until then <laughs> you can find us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve. I forgot my favorite part. My favorite part of rereading this, which is after she cuts her hair off, what does she do? She puts it in curling irons so it can get all irony. Right? <laughs> uh, so that paragraph does include the great line uh, that she went to repair the ravages made by generosity added to love, which is always a tremendous task, dear friends. A mammoth task. Mm. <laughs>